Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Rosemary Orchard, a web developer and automation expert, and co-host of a new podcast called Automators on Relay FM. How's it going, Rose? It's going great. How are you today? I, you know. <laughs> I let's see. I think my tweet said I I got divorced. I my dog died. I turned forty and wrecked my car. Well, happy birthday! Thank you. Focusing on the positives here. <laughs> I di- I did. I smashed an Audi TT convertible into the side of a pickup truck. It was not my fault. I would like to make yeah. that clear, and not just for insurance purposes. It was not hmm. my fault. But they're such pretty cars. It's a shame. It's a real shame. I agree. I agree. So uh, you, you, let's talk about maybe day job. Mm -hmm. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm a web developer. Basically, that means that uh, anything that we need programming, it gets sort of thrown at me and we see if we can do it as a web-based solution. And then for some things, I have a colleague who does, for example, uh, Windows-based uh, development and uh, we mostly focus on automation actually at work. So when I was hired, my boss gave me a choice: either sit sit down every day, get a bunch of Excel spreadsheets via email, try and figure out what the heck people have changed, log into this really complicated system and input it, hoping that the system doesn't crash while you're doing that, or learn to program better and write our user interface where people could make these changes themselves and have them put into that system via the REST interface. I chose the second one, and here I am today. Yeah, I, you and I would get along really well. I I wasn't given the choice. I just decided that the first job I had was ridiculously repetitive and unnecessarily complex mm-hmm. and automated. I automated it to the point where I really only had to be at my full-time salary job for about two hours a week. And that is nice. The rest of it was just running on scripts that I wrote. And they knew this. They didn't they didn't fully appreciate it the way it wasn't a tech company, it was a fashion company. Oh yes. So yeah. and I was not the programmer, I was the art director, but I automated that position to the point where I really I showed up to do some cutting of displays. <laughs> and everything else was just done for me. Um, well, so I, I get that choice. I understand why you chose the path you did. If you have the skills to do it or can learn the skills to do it, automating is its an easy option. Mm-hmm. Like It's an easy decision for me. Yeah. And also, I mean, what was what's great now is the people who need to make these changes, who are the ones that decide to make those changes and are responsible for these these services that the changes are made to, um, they can just do it. They don't need to come and find somebody who's basically an admin assistant and get them to put stuff in or email the admin assistant or phone the admin assistant or whatever it is. They can just do it. Um, And so it's putting the responsibility back with the people that it really belongs with, which I am very much a fan of. I like to avoid as many middlemen as possible whenever you can do, (laughs) just because it slows everything down. So what is your background? How How did you learn to code? Uh, I used to be an English teacher. 
<laughs> so I, I studied languages at university in the UK and I got a job after I graduated as a traveling English teacher. So I was in a different school every week with a different set of class times, different course to teach, a different set of colleagues, different amounts of paperwork to fill in. But I would get all of this via email every single week. So it started out as, hey, can I take these emails and like get the class times out, add them to my calendar, add them to my OmniFocus so that I know which classes I need to prepare what for. Um, and basically like try and make it as productive as I could. So I was doing that and I really enjoyed it. And I was talking to my boyfriend at one point and he was like, well, if you really enjoy it, why don't you go back to university and learn how to program properly so that you can then get a job in it? Um, and so I did. I started as a student assistant uh, I got really annoyed because we got packages every single day, multiple packages from multiple different delivery people. And we had to s literally pull out this massive binder full of paper. And we had to handwrite the date and the time that it arrived. We had to copy the package number. Well, that was good fun. Uh, figure out which person it belonged to. And then we had to sit down and manually write them an email. And then somebody would come and say, hey, my package isn't here. Where's my package? And then you have to squint at the signature of the person who had hopefully <laughs> remembered to sign it to pick it up um, and try and, you know, read hieroglyphics and figure out who the heck this was when most of the time people just sort of drew an X. Uh, so it's a case of like, hmm, can I, can I figure out which pen this was? Well, I'm not Sherlock Holmes, uh, but we have ID cards at work. So I wrote a program where you could log in with your ID card and pick up a package and it would just automatically track who was logged in and then we could input packages and it would automatically send emails and send email reminders if the package was there for more than a week and things like that. And uh, that uh, caught the attention of my boss who said, well, do you want to come do this full time? So uh, I said, yes, yes, please. <laughs> and okay. that's how I learned how to do it. That's amazing. What language was this, this first script written in? Uh, it was PHP, because that's what my boss knows. And when I suggested originally that I wanted to write it, he said, sure, but do it in PHP. Um, I mean, my boss is one of those guys. He just picks whatever tool is appropriate for the job. Um, but he is currently of the opinion that most of our web applications would not do well in JavaScript and um, or pure JavaScript, so Node.js or whatever, Angular, whichever flavor ice cream of JavaScript is currently the one that everybody is using <laughs> today. Um, and uh, the, uh, the idea behind everything, of course, is extensibility. It starts in our department and then it would grow and wander into other departments and maybe eventually become university-wide. And if you start in PHP, then it's quite easy to extend it to do that. Um, possibly as in JavaScript as well, but I had been learning Java at the time, so PHP was an easier adjustment for me. And so, yeah, we use PHP for the majority of that. So did you basically learn the PHP you needed to know to make this? Because the system you're describing is fairly complex. Yeah, uh, it started out with me literally like writing out on paper. Okay, step one, I want to be able to do this. And then I drew a little picture of the form that we were going to fill in and a picture of a handheld USB scanner next to it. Um, and uh, yeah, I just kind of figured it out as I needed to go. But it was a great beginner project because you've got database behind it, you've got email involved. And so I learned how to do all of these things. And I, I managed to write it, you know, inside of a semester, which was pretty good, actually, in hindsight. I'm quite amazed that I managed to do that. <laughs> but, that, that uh, I is, did have help. That so. is fascinating. I, I would find that fascinating for any student. I would like to, I'm going to try to broach this in a way that isn't um, stupid. But you, 
I'm assuming there were not a lot of uh, women in your classes. No. Um, I attended a technical university, which is where I work now. Um, And in general, uh, especially in subjects like IT, uh, women are not hugely well represented. Um, So the undergraduate degrees, there are... Uh, a couple of varieties of IT, so software engineering, which is generally male-dominated, um, and then there's medical and media IT, um, which are actually uh, medical IT, especially it tends to be dominated by women. Um, and then there's a few other flavors. I believe there's a security one, and those tend to be male-dominated as well. Um, and I remember first day it was math maths lecture at nine o'clock in the morning. Whoever thought that was a good idea, please never again. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just sort of went in, and you know there was like this group of girls at the front uh, looking kind of nervous, and then a sea of guys, and it was like, wow. Well, you guys are going to have to get used to me because I am a girly girl and I am not toning that down. So, uh, yeah, they got used to me turning up with like nice hair and nails and dresses and stuff like that, which worked pretty well, actually, because uh, I made a lot of friends. They were kind of like, huh, strange thing in our midst. But no, they were, uh, you know, none of the people that I've worked with were uh, were in any way, you know, like, you're a girl, you can't do this. They were mostly just surprised that women are w- willing to try. Because I actually wanted to study IT as an undergrad when I first studied in the UK when I was 18. I turned up to an open day and I was literally the only girl in the room. Um, <laughs> and I asked the professor, like, how many girls are doing this course? And he was like, maybe two. And at 18, I was just like, I don't think I can handle a job where I'm the only girl around. That, you know, that that's not something that I can do. Um, and nowadays, I'm like, well, I, I don't care, actually. I'm the best person who can do my job. So I'm a girl. Live with it, you know. But, yeah, in general, it is a male-dominated environment. You have an amazing degree of confidence. And I feel like that is necessary to walk into a situation where you kind of already feel like a minority. Yeah, I occasionally get mistaken for the secretary. Um, (laughs) I have a great boss, though, um, and he just tells people, you know, if they're like, oh, can you go get some coffee? He's like, well, without her, nothing's going to happen. Like, she's the brains (laughs) behind the operation. I'm like, thank you. (laughs) You know, so, uh, yeah, I'm I'm lucky to be working in a really good team of people who are very well educated and uh, are very willing to... uh, pass things on to me when they know that it's the right thing for me to do or to take on their own challenges and not delegate things like fetching coffee to me just because I'm a girl. I, I, I'm happy for you. Like that's a, that's kind of best case scenario at this point in history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know that there are some areas where, you know, women and people of minorities, you know, still get ignored and that, that's not okay and I'm very fortunate to be working somewhere where that's not an issue at all um but uh yeah hopefully everybody else will uh, see that hey it's actually working out for these people let's you know focus on trying to make it better everywhere so automation is as far as I can tell in your blood like your (laughs) first instinct is how can we do this more easily how can we do this more efficiently Um, Yes, definitely. (laughs) So uh, at what point? Okay, there is a a Facebook page or a a Facebook group for Mac power users, David Sparks. And uh, Mm. why did I just blank on her name? Katie Floyd. Yes, Katie Floyd, who's coming after you with a bat lift. (laughs) I am so sorry, Katie. Um, (laughs) 
I'm sure she'll forgive you. She's lovely. I'm, I just crashed my car. I'm I'm a wreck. Um, <laughs> so is my car. Um, yeah, David and Katie, Mac Power users, they have a Facebook group, and you did a post. You, you, you just wrote, hey, if anyone wants to automate anything, let me know. Yeah. And that post, I get regular notifications still, uh, probably over a year later, that <laughs> yeah, it's that... been updated. And it's yes. been constant. And you have solved problems for so many people for free. Mm-hmm. That I worry about the time commitment, but this seems so natural for you. This is just what you do. Yes. So uh, when David and Katie migrated the group over to Discourse, uh, that is the one thread that I said, you know, we're taking this with us. Um, it, unfortunately, Facebook is not particularly nice in uh, letting you export groups nowadays. And sure. so it was going to be a massive amount of effort. But uh, I, I did some automation. I found a bookmarklet that expanded all of the comments in the thread, went through, scraped all of the workflow.is links and uh, turned that into a thread in the new forums. And yeah, I mean, it has been a big time investment. I still get a lot of questions where people ask me, hey, can you figure out how to automate this? And I, I, it's something I enjoy. I don't sit there and play words with friends or bubble pop or whatever the latest game of the day is. I'd like to sit there and figure out how to automate something. Like that's what I do to relax. And so for me, it's a great exercise. It's fun. And also I see it as a way to get more people interested in automating and programming because I still hear this to this day. I'm not a computer person, but they have to use a computer all day, every day at work. It's like, okay, if you need to use this tool, you cannot not be a computer person. <laughs> if you found a mechanic who said, I'm not a car person, you would not trust them. In today's world, you can't say, I'm not a computer person. That just doesn't work. Everybody needs to be able to use a computer. Most people are holding one in their hand right now. It's your phone. Um, so I, I just want people to get really used to using these tools and get started on this path to automation and understanding a little bit more about how to talk to computers to make them work for you. Because it's just a, it's something that's really powerful and so much fun, actually. At least for me. Okay, maybe other people just see it as a, a goal and they just want to have it automated. That's okay. I don't mind. But uh, for me, it's fun. Well, while I will admit that I do enjoy playing like Alto's Odyssey these days, we were talking in the pre-show that I find solving regular expression problems really fun. And I know you write a regular expression. Now you have two problems and all of this, but <laughs> I find the exercise really um, relaxing for me. Like for some reason, for whatever reason, my brain, uh, it calms when faced with a solvable problem. So yes. I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, at the same time, I'm fascinated that you you do you not play games at all oh i do i, I okay. have a windows machine and i uh like a proper gaming machine that i got my boyfriend to build for me because i'm good with software not so good with hardware i limited myself to installing the ram sticks because i was slightly afraid that i was going to fry some of the other parts um, <laughs> but, um I, it's it's good to know your limits um 
And uh, I do like to play games. I, um, I'm i not somebody who games regularly, though, like maybe every couple of weekends for a couple of hours. Or um, my, my gaming PC is a little cube, and so we'll take it with me when we go to visit my boyfriend's sisters and plug it into their TV, and they've got a nice gaming machine as well. Um, and then we can do multiplayer games, which is good fun. Um, things are, like that. And, uh, are yeah. LAN parties still a thing? Yes, they are a thing, and it's more it's really much easier today because you can build a relatively lightweight desktop. Sure. So taking it on a train <laughs> is not an issue. Um in in the in the era where I I cared at all about such things, uh you could you, there were cube um there you could build a cube. It would be about uh I would say uh 18 inches by 18 inches. And it could have mm-hmm. a handle, and that was kind of the standard for LAN parties. I never went to one, and I never built one of those, but that was the last time I remember being familiar with it. What's the mm-hmm. size of a cube now? Uh, well, if anybody is familiar with the IKEA Kallax bookcase, it's the one with all the cubes in it. It fits inside <laughs> one of those. Yeah, that was actually my requirement when choosing a case. I was like, it needs to fit in one of these cubes with enough space for ventilation. And it does. There's like a couple of... Uh, maybe a couple of inches at the top and like an inch and a half on each side of it. So it's got some good ventilation too. I did once build a like water-cooled PC with the big like Alienware-style glass side. Mm-hmm. So you could see all the LEDs that I put in it. I don't game. It was a ridiculous pursuit of mine. Well, my boyfriend has one of those now because uh, he he really enjoys gaming when he when he has the downtime to do it, and uh, so he has one and it's got like a rainbow light in it, so you can cycle through the colors of the rainbow. And uh, he also has a mouse that can light up. And every time I get a chance, I set that to rainbow lights as well, just because it's good fun. Why not? It also eats all the battery life of the mouse. But uh, hey, <laughs> so I I went off the rails there. I feel like it was appropriate, but yeah. Nerdiness. It's all good. So aside from well, the automation uh, that you're doing led to, if I if I understand the timeline correctly, led to doing a, a podcast with David Sparks. Yes. Yes, it did. Uh, David had apparently been thinking for a while about doing a podcast about automation. I had also been thinking about it for a while because I created uh, Automation Orchard where I collect a bunch of resources all about automating things. Um, And um, I was literally in the middle of the 20th time trying to draft an email to David saying, hey, can we do a podcast about automation? Um, when I got an email from him saying, do you have time to talk next week uh, about a podcast about automation? And I was like, well, well, that says me writing that email. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it just went from there, which worked out very, very well for the both of us, I think. That was some amazing automation that you automated Sparks to just cover it for you. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and so I believe... There are four four episodes now of autom- Automators? Two episodes so far. Oh, yeah. So... And I think by the time this airs, there will be three or four. I'm not quite sure. Um, but yeah. I have to figure... I'm looking up right now why I thought there were four episodes. Well, there's an episode zero, which I kind of don't count. And then there's two content episodes, which that were uh, calendar and email. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Correct. Zero, one, and two. I, Mm -hmm. 
yes, I am looking forward to these. I, I've listened to the email one. I haven't gotten to the calendar one yet. Um, it is, it, it feels, uh, because of David, I think it feels like uh, Mac Power users, but with a very specific focus on automation. Mm-hmm. And again, yes. yeah. no offense to Katie, you're an excellent co-host. Maybe Thank it's you. the accent. Yeah. I mean, I think Katie is an excellent co-host of Matt Perry users. So uh, I was sort of like, hmm, I'm, in some ways, I'm kind of being like a mini version of Katie here. Huh. I, I, Big I, shoes I could to see fill. it that way. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I agree uh, you know, that Katie I think is that, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, because I'm... I'm thinking obviously i don't know we i'd have no tracking whatsoever but from my understanding from the people that have talked to me a lot of the people who listen to automators are the sorts of people who would be my power users fans um which is a massive compliment i have to say if they're willing to listen to a brand new podcast with a brand new co-host um but yes so it, it is very focused and we're trying to do the focus on sort of like one area or maybe even in future just a couple of scripts per episode just to really give people something that they can take and they can go home and they can take what whatever it is that they heard that they thought was useful and modify it themselves to to do their own automation with that's an interesting point like whenever i share uh automation or general scripting stuff i do it with the intention that people will dig into how it works and why it works mm-hmm. and mold it to what they need. I do it as inspiration. I end up yeah. supporting a script that I wrote very for very personal reasons, you know, to solve a problem that I had and mm-hmm. then I share the results. But my hope is always that people will take the idea yeah. and run with it. Well, of course, we're hoping that too, but some people, maybe they're just not there yet. They don't have a a lot of time. Um, And, you know, maybe they're a little bit worried that they're going to break something and delete all of their calendar events. None of the scripts that I shared will delete anybody's calendar events, actually. So um, (laughs) that's not a worry for them. You've clearly been doing this long enough to make sure that anything you share is not going to cause massive damage. Yeah, well, in, in especially uh, we've, as the first uh, two episodes, we did quite a bit with workflow. Uh, it's quite easy there. You just make sure there is no delete calendar events block included <laughs> anywhere, and you're safe. Um, with a code code, it's a little bit trickier because there's you know a bunch of different ways that you could write delete, um, like move to trash and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, so the idea is you know just get people started with something, and then hopefully they'll see that as inspiration to. You know, go from there. And based on the response in the forums, a lot of people have been very excited about it and really trying to modify things to improve it and make it fit for their own things. But if they just want to take what's there and run with it, that's great. You know, it's a good start. Yeah. Um, I ask this pretty much knowing the answer, but how do you feel about apps like Workflow? Apps that make it, it easy to Absolutely basically drag and drop automation together. Yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I uh, when I first started uh, going back to school to study IT, um, I I decided that this is the time where I'm really going to get to grips with workflow because workflow is basically for a lot of programming the fundamentals, like an if block with an else inside of it, or a repeat with each, which in most languages would translate to a for each, and a repeat block, which would be a for 
loop and things like that. And I was like, well, this, you know, this is only going to help me get better. Um, and it's amazing what you can do with this basically Lego GUI. Um, and it looks much prettier in shortcuts now, I have to say. Do you, uh, do you think that having a background where you recognize like a for each block, do you think that matters when you're going into an app like Workflow or even an automator? which unfortunately does not yep. have for each blocks, but... Yes, unfortunately, Automator does not. Uh, no, I don't think it matters because, uh, I mean, they they have named things differently for a reason. Uh, clearly, the workflow guys now working at Apple know how to program. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't have ended up with this amazing app. And it seems to me, based on the discussions that I have with them before they were acquired, that they really did sink, sit down and think about the vocabulary. That's why it's called repeat and repeat with each, just because it's more human-friendly and readable. That's why AppleScript is the language that it is, because it's supposed to be human-readable. Um, and it's obviously, if you know this stuff and you know how it works, that's great. And that's, you know, that really helps you, because then you can just do the mental association of, oh, yeah, this translates to this. But if you don't know any of that, then it's, you know, you just tap on the little bubble in the top left-hand corner of the workflow action or the shortcuts action, and it tells you exactly what it does, what it expects input, and what it wants as, or what it will give you as output. Um, so you don't need to have any of that background at all, no. So, so would you say it's a good for people coming at it uh, with no programming background? Is it a stepping stone to actually wanting to dig into programming? Yeah, it can be, or it could just be the end goal itself to use this fabulous program um, to you know accomplish the things that you need. It it really depends on how far p people are willing to dive down the rabbit holes because you can go all the way right down to programming an entire operating system yourself if you're really that excited about it, or you can just use a workflow or a shortcut that has two steps in it and that does all that you need. So random question, uh, AppleScript or JXA? Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I prefer JavaScript. Yeah, uh, it used to be that I much preferred AppleScript. Still an AppleScript fan. That has not changed, but JXA, definitely. It's just, it's it's really expanding massively. And like it's in the Omni apps now and it's cross-platform. So yeah, I'm I'm a fan of that. And also it's one language to learn, works on iOS, works on Mac, uh, works on Windows, works on Linux even, providing on both Windows and Linux, you can find apps that support it. Um, so I'm more of a JXA person. I, for the reasons you listed, I can 100% agree with you. On a Mac, if I'm mm -hmm. only working on a Mac, I still, I fall back. Be, I mean, the dialects between applications are different enough that mm -hmm. if I'm going to have to deal with that frustration, I'd rather not deal with the yeah. weirdness of JXA. But string handling in JavaScript is thousand times better than trying to do string yeah. handling in AppleScript. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and yeah. then cross-platform issues. And you are correct. Omni... Uh, uh, um, what what are they calling it? Uh, automation. It's Omni JS. Omni J. Oh, that must be new. It wasn't what it was called when I first heard of it. But yeah, that's an amazing platform that I hope gets more traction beyond mm -hmm. Omni apps. Yeah, because uh, there, there's just so many like you know drafts uses JavaScript, and there's a really cool new app in beta that is just 
programming with JavaScript and iOS and doing amazingly cool things that integrates with shortcuts and Siri um, and stuff like that. Um, and it's it's JavaScript is gaining a lot of traction. So somebody came to me and said, hey, do I learn AppleScript or JavaScript for automation? I'd say JavaScript just because then they can use whatever device they want to pick up and keep working with it, which is yeah. nice. But if somebody I, said to me, should I stop using AppleScript entirely? I'd be like, no, definitely not. Not if you're because already good at it. Because there's a lot of great it. AppleScript. Yeah. And also, if, you, if you've got the basics of AppleScript, if you Google for something, how to automate something on a Mac more frequently than not, you're going to find an AppleScript that tells you how to do it. Right. But you're not going to find a JavaScript yeah it's kind of an uphill battle to yeah to take get to to get traction for javascript in uh mac automation Mm -hmm. yeah and also sal segoyan has got a bunch of great websites out there telling you how to do stuff in in apple script um and they're really good there's videos and copies of scripts and he actually goes through like the scripts line by line commenting them telling you exactly what everything does so that's that's pretty nice as well Um, yeah yeah he was a guest on here, um, but I also spoke at the Command D conference that he put on, mm-hmm. uh, kind of accidentally. But I got to speak there, <laughs> and I can I can say that he is he's pretty sold on JavaScript. Oh yeah, he is. Which which to me was a bit of a surprise, but especially in uh, connection with OmniJS, he was one hundred percent on board with JavaScript as an automation language. Yeah. I I got to meet him actually shortly before WWDC, and the impression that I got is he's a fan of automation. Full stop. He (laughs) doesn't really care how you automate it or why you're automating it, but if you want to automate it, he he's happy um and so and you know if javascript is the language right now which considering the ice cream flavors that we're currently seeing every day i'm pretty sure i saw black cherry javascript at some point must have happened um, <laughs> and uh yeah um you know it, it makes sense to go with that but uh, of course there's lots of resources for apple script out there and it's definitely not dead it's still there and uh even automator actually got a shout out at wwdc which surprised me yeah <laughs> <laughs> because you thought it was dead. Mm. It wasn't so much that I thought it was dead. I'd kind of thought that they'd forgotten about it and yeah. that just nothing was going to happen until they tried to migrate shortcuts and were like, oh, we already have this thing with this robot here. <laughs> what, are, what are we doing with this? Um, so, uh, I'm glad to hear that's not the case. They have not completely forgotten about it. What was the, what's the automated robot's name? Otto. Auto, yeah, that seems so obvious. Yet somehow I forgot it. Um, no, it, it's not that obvious. I, I <laughs> did think that he had an A name at some point. I don't remember, but uh, yeah, he's a cute little robot. I like him. Yeah. Okay, so if it's all right, I'm gonna jump topics very mm-hmm. uh, abruptly. You, so you were from the UK and you're currently living in Austria. Yes. And this is a work-related move, or did you move to Austria and find work? Uh, yes. So, um, as I mentioned before, I was a traveling English teacher, and most of the time I was based in Austria. And uh, as things happened, I ended up with a boyfriend over here, and uh, at some point he said, why don't you move in with me? 
And so I said, all right, well, I'll do that then. And uh, so I moved in with him and then I went back to university here. It's much cheaper in Austria than it would have been in the UK or pretty much anywhere else on the planet to do that. Um, when I was doing it, it was about 20 euros a semester, which is insanely cheap. That and, is, um, holy cow. Yeah, yeah. Compared to US uh, tuition fees, we're talking <laughs> like literally a, a thousandth, um, not even that. Um, so uh, yeah, so I, I started studying and then got a job as a student assistant and then ended up with a full-time job and that's why I'm still here. So, uh, well, that and the boyfriend, I haven't lost him yet. So that's, uh, <laughs> pretty good going, I think. Nice. Um, so do you do a lot of travel outside of, uh, I assume you're no longer a traveling English teacher now that you're professionally employed as a web developer. It, no, it's uh, somewhat contradictory being in a classroom from eight until two every day, whilst also being at a regular job from nine till five. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't yet found a way to automate myself into being two people. And I think I would have to automate myself into being three people, honestly, so that one of them could just sleep all the time if I was doing all that. <laughs> so. so do you still get to travel? Yes, I do. So my parents still live in the UK, uh, as do my grandparents, and I visit them very regularly. And uh, I just like to travel. I am not disturbed at all by the thought of a 12-hour plane journey. Uh, so uh, WWDC, I went there for a week and a half, um, which in hindsight, I wish I'd gone for two weeks or so. Um, and uh, I yeah, I, I like to go visit places whenever I can, and I'm already lining up a couple of places for next year, including MacStock, as well as WWDC again, um, because it's just nice to go places, meet new people, make new friends, and uh, see what other nerds are up to. We did miss you at MacStock. I really wish I'd been there. I I just uh, I had a unfortunately a very dodgy wisdom tooth that had to be removed, Ouch. and uh, it was terrible timing. But it had to come out, and it was sort of like okay, well, thankfully I did not book a plane ticket to Maxstock uh, because there's no way I will be going, which is a shame. But I will be there next year, I promise. Unless you know something crazy happens, I have no more wisdom teeth though, so that's not going to be a problem next year. <laughs> Me either. I did appreciate how you. Talked about a 12-hour train ride and then immediately jumped to... Oh, you said plane. Yes, but 12-hour okay. train rides are things that I have done before as well. Plane makes way more sense when you're talking about WWDC. <laughs> I are there trains now. in the U.S.? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding. I, I, I took the Caltrain from San Francisco down to San Jose, uh, which was an experience. Um, and uh, I'm aware that there's Amtrak, and I'm considering it actually for a few trips that I will hopefully be making in the U.S. next year. But, uh, I took it's... I took an Amtrak to Maxstock one year, mm. uh, it, which is like a six, I think it was a six-hour ride that I could have done in uh, just under four in a car. But Wait, that's it not... took longer on... A train versus yeah, a car? Yeah, it did. I don't know if that's because of stops or because I drive really fast if I have my own car. Okay, uh, just to give uh, you some context, uh, here trains go at like 200 kilometers an hour. What? So, 
Uh, yeah, up to it depends. It obviously depends on what kind of train that you're getting. If you're getting a slow train that stops in every tiny village, it's not going to go at 200 kilometers an hour because it wouldn't get up to speed before it got to the next stop. But uh, for example, the uh, intercity trains, the ones that go to Germany and th- so on, they go really fast. Maybe you know, not all of them go at 200 kilometers an hour, but they're fast. For listeners in. I, I honestly, America is probably the last place using miles per hour, but um, that is 124 miles an hour. Yeah. That I'm pretty certain that the Amtrak that I took never peaked 65 miles an hour. Okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, certain trains in Europe get up to 300 kilometers an hour. I have what? just double checked that. Yeah. 300 kilometers an hour, which is 205 miles per hour for the Americans. Wow. And it has reached speeds of 363 kilometers an hour, which is 226 miles per hour, according to Wikipedia. That is the high-speed rail in Germany, where I also used to live. That would be a no-brainer for me. I would never drive to the Chicago area in a car if I had a train option that went that fast. Uh, well, I have to say, I very much enjoy uh, the good trains here in Europe. Even in the UK, they are uh, terrible, but not as terrible as apparently in the US. Um, they're always late in the UK, and they seem to go pretty slowly. And there are lots of places still using diesel trains, which is just, well, kill the environment now. Um, but uh, yeah, there there are trains. There is an infrastructure there. They are expensive, but uh, somewhat efficient at any rate. It is weird to me that... Their first reaction to lowered uh, usage rates in the United States was to raise prices significantly. Um, When everyone stops wanting to use a mode of transportation, I feel like making cost prohibitive is not the way to fix things. Uh, Can I suggest that the people in charge of the trains in the U.S. talk to Deutsche Bahn in Germany, for example, because they offer... Um, they offer a couple of different versions of a discount card. Austria just has one, which is called the Advantage card, it would translate to, the Vortals card. Um, and that uh, this year was 66 euros, and it gives me like half of train fares, full stop. Uh, Germany has a slightly different system. They have 25% off, 50% off, or travel as much as you like. Naturally, the travel as much as you like t- uh, cards are not cheap. They are pretty expensive. If you get a first-class one, they are even more expensive. Um, but the 50% off one, as a student, I remember getting it for 120 euros for the year, which was coincidentally half the price of a return to Berlin, where I was going. Um, so I went to Berlin and back, and then from then on, uh, any time I used my card, it was you know, getting me 50% off for free, which was pretty good going. Nice. Yeah. 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 Amtrak could learn a thing or two. Yeah, and I mean, trains over here, they're pretty frequently used whenever possible. Um, I, I know I have many work colleagues who, who don't live in Vienna. They work, they live somewhere outside of Vienna. They work in the same building as I do. And they will drive to the train station, then get on the train and go to work from there. Um, just because it's faster and I'm guessing probably works out cheaper for them because they obviously don't buy daily tickets, they buy season tickets. Yeah. So given that you enjoy travel and you're positioned in Europe, which I assume means you have traveled through most of the countries of the EU. Yes. I am going to ask this as 
what, where, where's the place that you haven't traveled that you would most like to? Oh, um, well, Australia and New Zealand are definitely on my list. I have not made it there yet because that's a very long and not cheap uh, plane journey with probably lots of changes coming from Vienna. Um, that's definitely one place I want to go. Uh, inside of Europe, I have spent very little time in Spain and the south of Italy, so I would love to spend more time there. I All right. I, I cannot disparage any of those choices. I, I would, I, I've never been to Europe. I'll, you, I'll you've got to come. We obviously. have beer restaurants here in Vienna. And so you, you literally go and you get a menu of beer that you have to choose from. <laughs> choose, or you can just like order the testing range where they'll just bring you like a little tray with like five or seven different beers on. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. I live in a small town in... Mm a Midwestern state in the United States. And we get, we, we, we usually have one good restaurant and good restaurants don't last long. So then we get another good restaurant, but rarely more than two good restaurants at a time here. Um, okay. I have to, I have to travel two plus hours to go to a really good restaurant. It Ouch. is the one thing that I travel for is restaurants. I, I I honestly, I would also travel for good restaurants because, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I know, especially if you learn to cook, uh, that you can make amazing meals at home and it costs much less, but there's this thing with eating at home that I hate called washing up. <laughs> and, uh, when I cook, uh, I have done my best to learn how to clean as I go and I'm not terrible at it. I'm as far as my boyfriend would say, I'm terrible at it, but I'm, I'm not that <laughs> terrible. Uh, but you you have to clean everything up. And it's nice to go somewhere and have somebody else do that for you. And you just get to sit and relax. And if you're with somebody else, you can chat. Or if you're on your own, you can read a book or do whatever it is that you like while you wait. And just, you know, have that nice experience. And then you get this really delicious food. And calories don't count when you're eating out. So, win. Right. Right. It's an it's an easy way to bypass the Weight Watchers plan. I um I got I got really good at cooking, and even the good restaurants within half an hour of where I live, I usually find myself saying, "Here's what they could have done differently." Here's that's the problem. Once you get good at cooking, you, <laughs> you you end up going like, "I could have done this better for half the price at home, and I wouldn't have been waiting forty five minutes." Honestly, uh, I'm re I'm really good at cleaning the kitchen. I clean as I go, and then once something is in the final cooking stages, and I have you know between fifteen minutes and three hours, <laughs> I'll finish up the job. I I take pride in cooking a great dinner and leaving the kitchen spotless at the same time. Okay, That's well, you are welcome me. to my kitchen anytime you like. <laughs> I can promise you that. Uh, I love slow cooking, um, especially uh, having had a wisdom tooth out recently. I had to eat quite soft food for a couple of days, especially I had uh, quite a few stitches in my mouth, unfortunately. So I was really like paranoid about anything that might pull them out. And uh, slow cooking is definitely one of my favorite things because you just chuck stuff in the slow cooker in the morning. And then in the evening when you're hungry, you have this amazing meal. And because you did it in the morning, you've had all day to clean up, and there did, wasn't that much to clean up anyway. Did you get an instant pot yet? No, I've not found them on Amazon that will ship to Austria. I'm sure they're there, um, but I have not got one yet. I around, want one. 
around here, Target carries almost the full line now. I don't know if you... The, probably not Target's in Austria. I don't know. Uh, no. And also, um, a thing about Austria and Germany that I found, not so much France, is a supermarket sells food. Did I just... Wait, hold, did I just say Australia? <laughs> I'm in Austria. No, no, no. You said Austria. Um, okay. I might have said Austria. Uh, but no, the <laughs> supermarkets sell food. If you want devices, then you have to go somewhere else. Okay. I am typing in on... I mean, I guess this would be the equivalent of Best Buy. They sell, like, computers and kitchen blenders, stuff what like that. What is the equivalent uh, of Best Buy? Uh, Saturn um, would be one of the equivalents. Um, they also sell things like Apple Watches and uh, electric toothbrushes and smart home devices. They have, apparently have a category of smart home. And uh, they do not have anything resembling an Instapot. I typed in an Instapot and I got War Films as a suggestion. War Films? So, yeah, it says Kriegsfilm. Collection <laughs> 2, drama, Blu-ray or DVD are the two options. Yeah, that won't cook you a good dinner. No, it apparently contains The Killing Fields, Miracle at St. Anna Street, and Nine Rota as original titles. Um, I've only heard of one of those, and I'm thinking that none of them sounds like an instant pop. <laughs> maybe, maybe good viewing over dinner. Um, I'm I'm not such a horror fan, I have to say, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't generally watch war movies or horror while eating dinner. Yes. That's ah, Instant Pot is not available on Amazon Germany. They have a 7-in-1 programmable electric pressure cooker, multi-cooker, rice cooker, steam, yogurt maker, 24-hour timer, multifunction, and warming function 6-liter pressure cooker. Uh, that, but that does sound very close to an Instant Pot. It, that sounds very close. It's not the same brand. And then they have like the, the saucepans that you put on the hob that have got the pressure lids on. Yeah. Um, okay. That's it. I If you need one, let me know. Will Electricity arrange. works a little bit differently over here. We have twice the voltage. So Right. Right. Two twenty. Yeah, I did consider importing one last time it was to the US. But then I was at WWEDC and I came back with a uh, suitcase full of T shirts and stickers. So <laughs> <laughs> That'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we have some time left for the top three picks. Here's my first question. I can do three picks. As of the last episode, I decided to just let the guests do three picks. Ooh. I'm going to let you decide, should I include my three picks this week, or should we just talk about yours? That feels like a weird question to ask now that I say it out loud. Hmm. I'm sorry, but still. I am now you... in charge. I have all of the power. Yeah. <laughs> Take it. Take the power. Um, hmm. I don't know. I think people are still going to be interested in your three picks, so I think we should include them. I feel like you didn't really have a choice there. What you going to tell the host? Oh no, we don't want to hear from you. That yeah, it, no, no, sorry, you're you're boring and we don't like you. That <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I bet. feel it might not go down so well. Um, also, you know, you're not actually boring. If you were, well, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So <laughs> I feel I feel like you have pretty good taste. I'm honored that you agreed to be on the show. Thank you. Uh, so, yes, I would like to hear your three picks as well, please. All right. So. Well, in that case, this is going to go one at a time, back and forth, mm -hmm. starting with you. Okay. Well, my first pick is an app. It's in beta right now. It is not under embargo uh, because, you know, if it was, I couldn't talk about it. It's an app <laughs> called Scriptable, uh, which I did briefly mention earlier. 
basically, uh, it's this insanely powerful, you write it in JavaScript and it does stuff for you, uh, automation app, which integrates with Siri shortcuts already. So you can tell uh, Siri to show you the XKCD comic of the day and it will get it and then it will read the old text to you because of course the old text is hilarious and things like that and uh the the developer simon bs on twitter uh will hopefully by the time this episode goes live be looking for more beta testers so uh, if not just stalk his twitter feed and wait because it's well worth it if you're at all into automation and programming can you find me a link yes to, uh, because nothing's coming up for me Okay, I will. I will make sure that you have the link because I I have one. I have a special link that you will get one. It, uh, there's a Google form that people will be able to sign up with as well to uh, to get that. This sounds awesome. Like yeah. I, do, did you ever use what was the editor that had like Python editorial? Editorial, yes. Yes, I Were still use fan? editorial and Pythonista. I'm more of a Pythonista person nowadays. Um, so, uh, yes. But, Does he uh, still support editorial? Uh, officially, yes, but it does not yet have support for the iOS, uh, sorry, iPhone 10 uh, display, and it doesn't get updates that regularly. So, I mean, yes, it's officially supported, but it's one guy supporting two pretty powerful apps. So. Yeah. But, and, and I have learned over time that when you build an app that is as extensible as editorial, you end up running a forum of geniuses and trying to support people doing things you never imagined with your app. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, that can get to be a lot. Yes. Yeah. He I does have a community forum. And from what I've seen, um, he, he tends to sort of let the nerds get on with being nerdy while he focuses on programming the app and providing support for things that genuinely are bugs or appear to be bugs. Um, <laughs> which I, I, I am of the opinion that that's, you know, if you're a developer and you've got a limited amount of time, which every developer has, then, uh, then, you know, focus on development. That that's not a problem. Um, and, uh, I know that there are some people, uh, who who don't even have time to run a forum. And, uh, well, if you want to talk about an app that doesn't have a forum, feel free to uh, pop over to the Automators forum because we support anybody talking about any automation app, which is very nice. So I 100% believe that to be true. I, I believe you alone would support that forum. <laughs> well, I have been running the Mac Power Users uh, community um, with obviously help from David and Katie, and uh, now we're on the forum with Joe Bulick, which has been really, really nice. Um, but um, yeah, so it's, it's not that hard. Uh, but, uh... <laughs> All right, that so, I'm your pick. I, I'm looking forward to your link on that. I I definitely want to check it out. Uh, my first pick. It, Okay, this is, it's a tentative pick. I am, mm -hmm. I, there. there's an app now called Write Mapper, with a W, Write Mapper. And I have, I, I am a fan of iThoughts and MindNode. And I write an app called Marked that does markdown previews. And it can take uh, mind maps from either of those mind mapping applications and view them as markdown. 
Uh, so you can see, well, actually it views them as rendered HTML from a markdown version. And mm -hmm. so you can actually write a blog post in say, I thoughts using nodes as headlines and then notes, uh, on the node as paragraphs. And mm -hmm. I've been actually doing that for quite some time. I, I work well with mind maps, right? Mapper takes that idea and makes it one application. It's a mind map application where you can build a story, a book, a blog post from a mind map within the application. And it has a whole built in like distraction free editor. And mm. I am impressed with the idea. It takes something that I love to do and it makes it kind of a, a one stop shop for it. I still, having used it, I prefer iThoughts for mind mapping and I prefer Marked because it makes me money. <laughs> um, that said, it's, it's very cool. Uh, also, like, I don't, there's this screenshot they show it working with Bear and Ulysses. Mm -hmm. I haven't actually explored that part of it, but it does have a full tool set built in for writing via mind map, which I find wonderful. That is pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to have a play with that. They have a seven-day trial and a lifetime license, apparently. Which Yeah, no subscription necessary. Yes. Well, I, I have to say I'm not completely against subscriptions. It very much depends on how people market it and price it, more importantly. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, also, if a developer compares their uh, product to the price of a cup of coffee, then... Um, <laughs> Uh, well, at least for subscriptions, I think a lot of people are not aware of the single cost of living, which varies massively between countries. So how much a cup of coffee costs in the US is not equal to how much a cup of, a cup of coffee costs, for example, in India. But the way app stores the app store translates pricing, uh, it depends on exactly. So, for example, I think they're still doing a one-to-one -one conversion rate between pounds and dollars. Um, or the pound is more than a dollar and it's like 1.2 or something. And it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't always work out that way. So, uh, yes. I remember a day when a pound sterling was like a dollar 50. <laughs> yeah. One to one. Um, yeah. So if, if a semester costs 20 euros, what does a cup of coffee cost for you? Uh, I don't drink coffee. So free. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I, th I think it depends on where you want to go. Like, if you want to go to, like, a, a fancy cafe where there's a piano in the corner, probably. I do. We're looking Let's at, like, assume that. Okay. Uh, then you're looking at going to Cafe Central, probably, or Cafe Museum, or somewhere like that where they they have nice pianos and pianists who are very good. Um, and if you're getting a melange, which is, um, a, I want to say, I think that translates to an elongated espresso, but I'm not sure because I don't speak coffee. Um, an Americano. Maybe. Uh, we don't have those here. We're not Americans. Um, Obviously. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's like maybe like four euros or so. So it depends on whether you're getting the double caramel frappuccino espresso thing. So or, basically it's it's yeah. about 450 in the U.S., which a lot of apps do go for as a subscription yeah. fee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You have cats. 
<laughs> Those yeah. aren't my cats I hear. No, I, I don't have cats. You don't have cats? No. That means my cats are being super loud because I locked the basement. <laughs> oh, It boy. might have also been my fingers moving on my water bottle, nope. but I don't think so. Definitely okay. cats. Definitely okay. cats. Okay, no, I, what's your have... second pick? Okay, uh, my second pick, because I have been using it uh, today to try and improve an essay that I have to submit Monday, is Grammarly. Um, uh. It is an extremely useful tool if you have to write lots of things um and as i'm currently writing an essay from my msc and they also mark you based on spelling and grammar and even though i was an english teacher i have days where my brain just can't grammar uh so it's really nice that you can just drop a word document in there and it will go like what are you doing with your commas here, you crazy person? Fix this. Here's my suggestion. I don't always use their suggestions, uh, but I, I do use it as a basis of, hey, you should probably fix this sentence. I feel like Grammarly may have gotten a lot better since the first days that I tried it. Mm-hmm. I don't remember it ever having any, uh, any issues with commas on me, and it should Yes, I uh, have a thing where if I'm tired and I'm writing, I, for some reason, I have not figured out why. There's just some part of my brain that's crazy. I put a comma after the first word of every sentence if I'm really no, tired and I'm writing. It's, be- it's because if you're good at English, mm. you instinctively, anytime your brain pauses, you're like, oh, obviously, comma. But once mm-hmm. you get tired... Your, Your brain, brain pauses more. It says the first word, and then it has to think about the rest of the sentence, so you assume I'm pausing, comma. I do that <laughs> naturally when writing. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. And, well, uh, and I, Grammarly I wrote a never sentence. had anything to say about it previously. Well, no, I wrote a sentence yesterday, which started as the purpose of this, and I wrote the comma purpose of this, which looking at even today uh, with a slight cold, I can say is definitely wrong. Why would you put a comma there? You crazy, crazy, crazy person. And it has a red the, um, and it's put the <laughs> line through the comma, and it's like, you need to fix this. So, But yeah. imagine yourself really tired and saying it out loud. Yeah, the, the purpose. Uh, purpose of this. Yes. <laughs> I do understand. Yeah. Also, it is wonderful that there is a tool to fix that. Uh, Grammarly is still in browser, right? Like it, you can't. It, they also have a Mac app and an iOS app, which is basically a keyboard. Um, but I find that that works pretty well for me. They don't yet have a word plugin for Mac. Uh, so on my gaming PC, I have Windows and inst- uh, Word installed so that I can, because I save my, my essays in OneDrive, I can just open it up on the Windows machine and um, use the plugin there. Or what I frequently do is just open Word on one of my iPads and pop up the Grammarly keyboard and go through things there and uh, try and fix stuff, uh, which is pretty nice. And uh, the 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 web application and the the Mac app, you could just drop like a text document or a Word document on it, and it will open it up and go through it with you. The only thing is, if you do a Word document, then every time it makes a change, it saves that as a comment with track changes. Um, which uh, you then, if you're me, and you need to make sure that your professor can use track changes appropriately because they don't want any other comments <laughs> in there, have to go through and delete every one of the comments. And depending on how tired I was, that could be a lot of comments. 
Okay, so I, I might delete your response to this. I might edit it out if we get into a disagreement. But do you use Word to write things that are destined for the web? No. Okay, we're good. Yeah, no, uh, no, no, no. Uh, basically, I use Word when I need to produce a Word document. And any other time I'm using something that supports Markdown. You definitely, <laughs> you seem too smart to answer to that question otherwise. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm using Word for my MSC stuff because we need to have things like the automatically generated table of contents appropriate, um, header formattings and so on. And I get marked for presentation as well as the content. Uh, especially in this module, which is project management. They are big on presentation. It's not like I'm going to fail it if uh, my document isn't correctly formatted, but it creates a better impression if it is correctly formatted. So I decided that the smart thing to do, because I have embedded images and I have uh, figure uh, captions on images with the numbers, which are then referenced in the list of figures at the end, just do it in Word from the beginning, and then it's a real Word document, and I don't have to spend a lot of time fixing the formatting later. Uh, which is something that occasionally sucks. I have to say, and and again, I'm going to try to say this without sounding like an idiot, but I feel like you're good at this in a way that a guy would be, but with the attention to detail that I usually see more in females. Mm-hmm. You You bring it all together in a way that it's amazing. Thank you. Uh, you're almost superhuman in this regard. Well, I'm going to take that as a big compliment because it is. So thank you. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I, I've learned to pay attention to detail, because especially having been a teacher. Um, it's, you know, like spotting that one kid that just seems to be doodling in the corner of his book. Okay, maybe he's bored or maybe there's a bigger problem and trying to figure out what it is. So keeping an eye on, you know, 20 different kids at the same time, you end up being pretty good at paying attention to detail when you need to. Uh, also, I have times where I trip over my own shoes because I'm not paying attention to anything. So just like everybody else there. I really like you. This is amazing. All right. <laughs> Thank you. So my second pick, I uh, I talked about this on Overtired. Uh, I had a Drobo experience some uh, technical issues. For the second time, I, in years past, lost a couple terabytes of personal photos and whatnot uh, because of a Drobo failure. And the solution at the time was to buy a new Drobo. So I did. And it's been going for a few years, I'll say five years, fine, um, and then suddenly dead. Aww. And I, I, at that point, I'm done with Drobo. Like, I no longer trust it to store, you know, 20 terabytes of stuff at a time. Yeah. I, I, I lost trust. So, and I've heard this for years, you should get a Synology. Mm-hmm. I decided everybody seems to be going Synology crazy right now. I got a Synology. Um, Ooh, do you like it? I, I at the same time purchased a new Drobo that will then be uh, sent back, uh, refunded, uh, for the purpose of recovering Migrate. my data. Mm-hmm. Yes, migration. Yep. I love this Synology. I had no idea what I was missing. But now that I have this Synology and I am running media servers on it, I have a Git server set up on the Synology. I have moved mm-hmm. all of my remote Git repositories to the Synology, which makes it super fast. 
uh, I can run a web server right on it. Uh, it Have has, you tried running a Docker container on it yet? Not yet. I've had this for three days. I, I'm okay, impressed so. with the number of things I've already tried with it that it has been able to do. But mm. I will absolutely get to Docker. Um, I'll say this week. Uh, at the rate yeah. I'm moving, at the at the level of excitement I have for, for Sonali. And I went and bought the DS418, which mm-hmm. I am realizing now was not the ideal choice. I didn't do a lot of research. Um, I should have, at the very least, gotten the 418 Play, which can handle like yes. uh, 4K transcoding. But I didn't. But I did find a Plex beta that would run on it. And I'm currently trying to get it to find my media folder. But I mm-hmm. uh, was literally working with that half an hour before this podcast. So I'm not going to say it's impossible yet. Um, yes. Yeah, but it's it's kind of an amazing platform. I, yes. And I the am, Drobo- yeah, I'm seriously looking at getting one myself, I have to say. I had the Drobo running connected to a Mac Mini that was basically my always-on basement Mini that also runs uh, Indigo for my home automation, mm-hmm. which I'm still going to need. Uh, Indigo provides... I have a bunch... A lot of my home automation is still uh, uh, based on Insteon and even a little X10, and with... Indigo running and a few other plugins, I can access all of my home automation through Siri and, um, you know, the yeah. Amazon. Don't say it out loud because she'll hear you. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, Have you uh, looked at Homebridge? That's what I'm using. That's what that's what connects it all for me. Ah, okay. So you've but, got Homebridge sitting between Indigo and everything else. Correct. Okay, because you can add a lot of stuff to Homebridge. I have it running myself. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. I wonder if I can run Homebridge on the Synology. I think you can, because from memory, Synology basically a modified Linux distro. Yeah, uh, I checked it. It was... There is a Docker version, which, of course, you could then run. <laughs> You're going to be getting into Docker on Synology this week, I think. Weekend project. Okay, so my pick is Synology in general. Uh, I I did buy the the wrong model for myself. Yes. Well, I'm seriously looking at Synology uh, because they also have uh, where you can uh, basically do photo stream. Um, And it does image recognition as well and facial recognition of people so that it's... I'm guessing it's probably not as good as the stuff built into iCloud, but I have a lot of photos and I'm on a family plan and my dad is the family plan manager. So if I run out of gift cards, he starts paying for my storage. So I've limited (laughs) myself to 50 gigabytes because I am an adult and I wish Apple would let me use my own credit card. Um, because, you know, I'm an adult and I don't want daddy to pay for everything. Thank you very much. I, I grew out of that a couple of decades ago. Um, okay, decade and a half ago. Um, but still, uh, 
yeah, um, and uh, it would be nice if I could fix that. But uh, I'm I'm looking at it for one. For that is part of the reason, and also you know having everything on my device, and I could probably convince other people to share with it as well because they don't necessarily want to put everything in the cloud. But if it's on a specific device that we can literally pick up right. and move somewhere, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. So a. I I added my girlfriend to the uh my iCloud family plan mm-hmm. not family plan but like uh household right Yeah And now it's almost impossible for her to pay for things she buys herself Yeah like they have the other person has to come and give you money right. or Apple pay cash it if you're in the US or something but <sighs> like yeah. I like the convenience of being on a, a like a household plan but why can't we choose who's going to pay for stuff? Yeah. What I would really like is if you're an adult and you have a credit card attached to your account or a debit card, whatever, that you could somewhere set a checkbox that says, hey, take my purchases from my card, please. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All we need is a checkbox. I don't care if it's hidden on page 57 of settings. Like, I'll find it. <laughs> Trust me. I will find it on everybody else who comes to me and asks about it as well because I frequently get this question. I am everybody's support. And people always ask, how can I do this? And the answer is, uh, don't be part of a family, which <laughs> is not a good answer. R- random aside, uh, Alison Sheridan did a, a talk on mind mapping at mm-hmm. MaxDoc. And she has a mind map that maps out all of the iOS settings app. Ah. So basically all the levels. And once you get into the accessibility panel, it goes mm-hmm. like nine levels deep. And yeah. it, it it's amazingly huge. Uh, once you see it mapped out that way, it's crazy. Wow. I but need to that, see that. I think Max Stark just published a video of that, actually. Yeah. Um, there's a digital pass to Max Stark. I'm going to add this to the show notes. Um, mm-hmm. So people can actually see all of the uh, talks and some of the deep dives. Digital pass at Max Stark in the show notes. Um, yeah, uh, there's a lot of stuff worth catching up on. My second mm-hmm. point here is actually a question. As I faced the possibility of losing everything on my Drobo, um, tech support kept saying, if you don't have a backup, I'm like, this is my freaking backup. Like, Mm. I I don't have the money to put 20 terabytes in the cloud. No. um, And the only thing that you could potentially do, I believe, backblaze, if it's like that you can just pay for one machine and whatever is connected to that machine will then uh, be backed up. But then you have to have a uh, internet provider that allows you to upload 20 terabytes of right. data. Yeah, like every every choice I've looked at, I've found roadblocks, whether it's money or whether it's capability. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, is the whole point of a RAID system, depending on how you've got it set up, of course, is that you have a backup. Right. Right. So that you have exactly. at the very least two copies of something. Like the point of the system is that it can back itself up. Yeah. And so. when all of a sudden your chassis for the raid fails and it costs you at minimum $375 to get access to your drives back. Mm. At, at minimum, 
You know, yeah. otherwise you're looking at buying a whole new eight hundred to a thousand dollar chassis just to read the drives you already have all your data striped to. It's not and so it seems like the solution is actually to buy two, whether it's Drobo or Synology or any raid. Probably array. one of each and then have them talk to each other over land and back each other up, which just and, seems like well, that's gonna be a recipe for disaster. Have one off site and make your own cloud. It gets very like the ideal solution to me is to be able to back up to Backblaze B two or to mm-hmm. Amazon S three Glacier. Mm-hmm. And to mm, be able I, to, I would not recommend Glacier just because then when you go to restore, not only do you have glacial speeds, but you get dinged <laughs> with a massive charge. Um, yeah, so I would prefer S3 over Glacier myself at the very least, because then you, you pay the same every month. It doesn't matter what you download. Right. And that means also if you, for example, forget to copy a document from one device to another and you need it, you can just log in and download it. Agreed. I I used Glacier for backup for a long time, um, mostly because I never really expected to need to pull it back down. Mm-hmm. It was just a backup, a just-in-case thing, so I didn't want to pay up front. Mm-hmm. Having used, <laughs> having had to retrieve from Glacier, I have now switched to Backblaze B2 for most of my cloud backup. Mm-hmm. I've been very happy and content with the per per month pricing and my ability to access my files without extra dings. Yes. Yeah. I used to use CrashPlan. So my parents had a drive connected to their router and I had a drive connected to mine and I backed up to the drive connected to their router and they backed up to the drive connected to mine and it was offsite and it was free and it was wonderful and it was lovely um, and it only worked when my dad removed to leave his laptop on long enough, but that's beside the point uh, because we obviously had time machine backups running as well. And that was great, but yeah, now I have to convince my parents that it's worth paying for off-site backup because if the house burns down, otherwise you have nothing. Burns down, floods. uh, Uh, Burns down is a more likely scenario for them. They live in a semi-detached house, and a couple of years ago there was a lightning strike. The next-door neighbor had a radio mast attached to his house, uh, and well, their... their, fuse box i think you guys call it a fuse box uh the the box on the wall where all the electricity comes into the house and is then rooted onto the different circuits that thing um that theirs was literally blown off the wall sockets everywhere uh we just had some fried sockets and uh a bunch of dead devices unfortunately uh my apple tv died sadly um Yeah, it's okay. The insurance uh, was happy to pay for a new one and uh, upgraded me to an Apple TV 4 versus an Apple TV 3, which was very nice of them. Um, they they just wanted to know how much I paid for the device, and then when they found out how cheap it was, they were like, oh, well, here's the cash. Go buy yourself a new one. I feel like your insurance works very differently from ours. Uh, yeah, in our case, I don't know what it was. I guess maybe my parents have never claimed on their house insurance before or something, but they were super nice. And basically, we told them that it was a bunch of electrical devices with data on, so they sent out a company to verify that stuff was dead. Um, and the company was like, so this is stuff that died? Well, this has got hard drives in, so we're not touching that. You have to destroy that yourselves. We're going to take the vacuum cleaner. And that was it. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We got lucky. Um, 
but yeah, so uh, yeah, fire is the one that I can you know try and convince them that that might happen because the lightning strikes can indeed start fires, and electrical <laughs> fires are dangerous. And no one expects a lightning strike until it happens. Exactly. And so, now my dad keeps going, lightning never strikes twice in the same place. It's like, really? <laughs> I'm safe for life. <laughs> All right. So what's yes. your third pick? Ah, my third pick, I'm going to go with my 10.5 inch iPad Pro with cellular because that has been basically how I've been getting a lot of stuff done for the last couple of weeks. So um, I use it at work. It sits under my very nice monitor and it shows me my OmniFocus. Um, and then I use it on my tra on the tram to and from work, writing up blog posts for people, organizing my email inbox because I get way too much email, uh, nerding out with people in Slack channels, things like that. And it's just it goes everywhere with me and i genuinely think if i did not have this device i would be at a complete loss i would not know what to do with myself so tell me what accessories you have for it smart keyboard apple pencil uh i have some kind of plastic hard shell back that i think is from moco because that way i don't need to put it in like a sleeve in my bag um i'm slightly scared of getting the really pretty rose gold uh scratched up and uh, a SIM card, obviously, for data. Uh, and that's about it. Um, I tend not to be a, a big accessories person. I should mention that the hard shell is currently being covered in stickers uh, for <laughs> advanced <laughs> nerdisms. But uh, that's that's about it. Yeah. So what do you use? Is the Does the smart keyboard for the iPad Pro include like a stand? Yeah. So uh, okay. anybody familiar with the smart cover will be familiar with the triangle it makes. And uh, basically the, the smart keyboard makes the same triangle and then you get a keyboard sticking out the front, which is about yeah. two panels width. Or depth, I, I, I don't have an iPad Pro. I did have a smart cover that created the triangle. So I'm familiar with the concept. Mm -hmm. This is uh, it's an aspiration for me right now. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know if we mentioned I just wrecked a car. Yeah. I, I was really close to getting an iPad Pro, mm -hmm. but I have a sense. I haven't, insurance hasn't come through yet, but I have a sense I'm going to be out. The savings that I had accrued for an iPad Pro are probably going to go to a down payment on another car. So, yeah, yeah. sounds enough, plausible. Enough about me, though. <laughs> Let's talk about your iPad Pro. <laughs> So I watched so. Uh, at MacStock uh, sitting there. I was one of the only people pulling out a MacBook, uh, yeah, MacBook Pro 15 inch to type notes on. Everyone else seemed to have iPad Pros and smart keyboards that they were taking notes on and they were multitasking and sending emails while they were uh, watching talks. And I got jealous. I got good at working. Like, at first, I thought there's no way I can do actual work on an iPad Pro. Most of my work happens in mm -hmm. Xcode and Sublime Text, and I need multiple windows up at the same time. And I did eventually start doing quite a bit of my work only on an iPad Air uh, mm -hmm. with a keyboard, and I found... This whole single tasking idea is great. And then once we were able to split screen, I, it, yeah, no, it works for me. Yeah. It's actually a really productive environment to work in. Mm -hmm. I just haven't yep. gotten to the iPad Pro yet. 
Well, I, I started out uh, probably like many other people. I had an original iPad. And wow, looking back, I was really unproductive on that thing. Um, but it was great because uh, <laughs> it, I'd started out with um, there's so when you're studying languages, which I did, you generally have a big translation dictionary. And these things could really just be used as weapons because if you smack somebody in the head with it they will be unconscious um they are big they are heavy they are unwieldy and they are not something that you want to lug around a lot but they're something that as a languages student in the days before apps and so on you probably did lug around a lot and when i got an ipad i found this app the german dictionary is exactly the same german dictionary i had but as an app and i started taking my ipad to class instead and that was the point where i was like this can really be a useful device not just a solitaire machine uh which i confess i was kind of using it for before um and uh yeah it just spiraled from there and with things like drafts um and omnifocus and so on the the apps are so powerful nowadays and most of the features or that you find on the mac you'll find on ios and in some cases you find more features on ios nowadays than you find on the mac um, which is pretty amazing do do things like translation dictionaries require uh, monthly subscription fees? Uh, the ones that I purchased did not. Um, and I paid, I want to say, about £20 for each one. And I have a French one, I have a German one, and I have a Spanish one. And I also just have an, an English dictionary as well. And uh, the... the English to other language ones also have verb conjugations in there and some basic grammar rules and stuff, which is pretty nice. And they work offline, which is very, very useful, I have to say, because it's always whenever I'm on a plane that I'm trying to write a document properly in German. And I'm like, what on earth was this thing called again? Oh, right. Yeah. Chicken. I know what a chicken is. <laughs> so. they're, they're a little more basic than the OED, though. Um I'm a big fan of the Oxford English Dictionary. Uh, we you we can actually get the ha Oxford English Dictionary on the iPad for, for a one-time fee, though. I'm not sure if that one's a one-time fee. I have the Collins ones, um, which are really good. Uh, the French one is the Collins Robert, and uh, I can't remember what the German one is right now. But yeah, you can. Some it depends on which ones you're getting. If you can get them for a one-time fee, I seem to have got really lucky in that they haven't said no. We're not developing this any further. You're going to have to buy the new version if you want to use split screen and so on. At one point, they did tell me because I asked when they were going to update the dictionary for split screen. Because it's an obvious thing to have in split screen. You have the dictionary right. on the small part of your screen, the document you're obvious, writing on the big yeah. part. Um, and they said, oh, you might need to pay for an update to get that. And I have not had to pay for any updates. And I've had these apps for about, oh, gosh, yeah. um, going on t mm, eight years. Yeah. We, we have a long time. We have a print OED in the house. And yes, you could totally kill somebody with it. It's yeah, huge. Definitely. It's heavy. And that's... It's the print in it is small enough. You need a loop to read it, and it's still big enough <laughs> yes. to crush a human. Um, but mm -hmm. when I've looked at, like, yep. I, I would absolutely prefer digital access to it. But all the access yeah. I've been able to find is via subscription fees that are clearly designed for places that have funding. So yes. So I, uh, my girlfriend got a like an illuminated magnifying loop, 
and and that's what we do when we have an argument over the etymology of a word. <laughs> we pull out the OED and the magnifying glass with the light in it, and and we solve it. I would love to have this available through my iPad, iPhone, whatever. Uh, the Oxford Dictionary of English is available for nineteen euros ninety nine on Android, uh, iOS, Windows. Um, I want to say that's a Windows Phone, and apparently in the Amazon App Store as well. Wait, for what price? Nineteen euros ninety nine is what they're telling me because I'm in the Europe. Ah, uh, oh, when I tap on the iOS icon, though, once I've gone to details, it says that it's free. What? Um, because the app store is no longer available on the on iTunes. I don't know if I'm going to be able to see in-app purchases. Uh, okay. Yeah. Hey, side, uh, side note, that is $19.99. Okay. $19.99. I believe that is a one-time fee. I am sending you a link. This has got to be relatively Sorry. new. I have looked into this before, but if you are correct, I am 100% buying that right after we're done here. Yeah. Well, I, I hope that uh, it is a one-time fee. Um, I'm not seeing complaints in the in the reviews about it being a subscription. And usually if it's a subscription application, you see a complaint in the reviews. Yeah. So. <laughs> You've been doing this a while. Um. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's one of those things. That there are some great apps which have got some really good in-app purchases, which are subscriptions. Um, because, for example, with things like Drafts, whenever Dropbox changes their API, that requires a significant amount of work uh, on their part to make it work with the new system and things like that. And uh, I'm very happy to support that kind of application. What I am not so happy about is games which are like, oh, yeah, now you've passed a level. You need to pay to play the next level. Um, and then you yeah. pay and you get the impression that you're going to get a couple of levels and then no, as soon as you finish that level, you have to do the next one, which is why I prefer to automate things instead of play games on iOS. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. All of my favorite games uh, on iOS end up like immediately you could continue for free or you could accelerate your progress by buying some gems and uh, I'm tempted yeah. to and I have learned over time that it is my gambling addiction rears its head very quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The first review yeah. on this Oxford Dictionary of English, which I'm not convinced is the same as the OED. Uh, it's, mm. The headline is product great pricing deceptive. I'm not going to read okay. it right now, but um, I, I will look into this further. All right, so... Uh, no, no, no. That person is complaining because they have a weird um, iTunes account set up. It's, oh. Yeah. So it's their fault, yet somehow I, I just that becomes it for the you. first review. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah. Yes. No, I, anyway, I, I have, yes. no, I have uh, speaking apps of, on the uh, App Store. So, I know how this goes. Yeah, yeah. Now, speaking of games on iOS um, and on my 10.5 and iPad Pro, I have Civilization and that's the, the full version. Um, and that, oh my gosh, is so much fun. It is a great battery killer because it's a full powered game. Um, and uh, But yeah, it's great fun. I really love it. I lost uh, months worth of time to Civilization over the course of my life. Like, that's a game that's been around since the Pentium first came out. Yeah. And, yeah, I have... Yeah. I I understand. 
<laughs> yes, it, it's a great game. And uh, the only limitation with the iOS version right now is you can only uh, group play with other people that also have the iOS version. Um, but because um, it's... So it's a free app with a one-time in-app purchase, not a re- recurring in-app purchase. So that basically you get a free trial, which is each game is limited to 60 turns or something. Um, and then the in-app purchase goes on sale quite regularly. Um, and uh, that is a nice one because I have I have um, multiple iPads, I'm afraid. And uh, so <laughs> I've, rest- I've, I've got the, the purchase on multiple iPads, so I can give one of my iPads to my boyfriend and then we can play on iPads and especially the new version of Civ, it's it's really nice for touch screens. So it's a it's a good fun time killer that's great on an iPad Pro. I will add that as a sub pick. <laughs> yes, it's a sub pick. It's not really a pick on its own, but it's part of my ten point five inch <laughs> iPad Pro sub pick. Yeah. All right. So my last pick, and th- this is a very it's a a niche one, um, but it's called it's Captain Plugins from Mixed in Key. If you're into recording music, and uh, I use this with Logic, it is an $80 collection of plugins that basically lets you, there are different versions. There's one that will let you play a series of chords, and it will let you then perform music theory on those chords. So you you play a major chord, and then you can easily convert it to uh, a minor 7 Mm-hmm. Just with a click of a button, and then you can add rhythm to it. You can add progressions to it. And then there's one that takes your progressions and will write a melody for you. Um, oh I, my gosh. <laughs> then there's one that writes bass lines that go along with whatever chords you're playing. And it can even recognize chords that aren't MIDI. Overall, I have found these to be... I, I have just enough music theory to be dangerous. <laughs> um, I, 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 I taught myself guitar. I took some piano lessons as a kid. Most mm-hmm. of the instruments I play, uh, I, I learned myself. I, I was in orchestra. But I only took a certain amount of music theory to understand like how, how all of it works. And then the rest of it... I, I took... The required uh, classes and pass the required exams to be able to continue to do piano exams, but that's, yeah, <laughs> I'm the same as you basically. Yeah, and and then y- you you know what sounds good, so then you figure out why it sounds good. Mm-hmm. So yep. you you end up teaching yourself music theory, and you you for me, I I missed a lot along the way. Like I understand certain paths really well but then when someone says oh if you like that you'll like this and i have no idea what they're talking about so these plugins have made it possible for me to with the click of a button convert what i'm doing to something else and Mm -hmm. i have found them uh, really i don't know how how much like a really seasoned musician with a lot of music theory would love these but for someone like me, they have been uh, transformative. Yes, I. Uh, you probably just cost me eighty dollars, or I'm actually looking at the one hundred dollar <laughs> option right now, um, where you get some other stuff as well. Because uh, I, I love to mess around with music. Like you, I took piano lessons as a kid. I've taken singing lessons. Um, I taught myself guitar. I did take 
a group guitar class at one point um, because I was trying to get better at German and I was learning guitar and thought, well, let's try and do two things at once. Uh, side note, don't recommend that, especially when they are trying to sing Cat Stevens songs and the <laughs> teacher does not know the difference between the O-U-D-H, uh, O-U-G-H sounds. So you have pluff, um, which uh, drove me insane and I kept trying to fix it. And she, no. Anyway, uh, yes, and I recently purchased a ukulele, which is very dangerous. Um, because I'm trying to learn Blackbird, um, which uh, some people might be familiar with the album Good Evening New York City from Paul McCartney. Uh, that's the Blackbird version that I'm trying to learn. And uh, as somebody new to the ukulele, it's a challenge. So, uh, yeah, this definitely enough to be dangerous. I'm probably going to be very, very dangerous with this. This is, like, great fun. <laughs> um, my girlfriend plays ukulele. Uh, I should say she dabbles in ukulele Mm -hmm. and lately she has been working on perfecting um ukulele anthem i think it's called by amanda palmer Mm. it's it's all it seems pretty basic but i personally am not good at strumming patterns Mm -hmm. so where i would be like well here's the chord progression do it the way i want to uh, she's working on actually matching the strumming pattern, which boggles my mind. Yeah, I think I'm I've always, lazy I've always in that struggled way. with strumming patterns. Yeah. yeah. No, I do what feels natural to me. And if I'm covering something else, I say, make it mine and I'll do mm-hmm. it the way my brain wants to. But yeah, she's paying attention to detail. Okay. I always struggled with strumming patterns because I, I came from the background of a, uh, I obviously as a kid, many, many kids do this, especially in the UK, learned how to play recorder. So sure. woodwind instruments and then piano where you can have very fine grained control over what you're doing. And for me, the challenge with the guitar is these strings are really close together and I feel like I can't control <laughs> what my whole hand is doing. Um, and also I have, I have a slight case of RSI in my right arm and I'm, I'm right-handed. Mm, um, yeah. so like trying to use just your wrist versus your arm and your shoulder and it felt very, un yeah, ungranular, let's say. I'm lacking, <laughs> lacking in the control that I'm used to when I could, you know, position my fingers exactly to do exactly whatever it is that I wanted to do. But I'd still love guitar and love playing it, so... Yeah, I have I have RSI. Palm muting on a guitar is uh, painful for me. Mm-hmm. If I try to play anything palm muted for too long, yeah, my my I just I get like claw hand and it, I do, I drop a pick. Um, I have you played electric guitar? No, that is something that on the one hand I really wanted to do. On the other hand, um, I don't have enough space for a guitar in my apartment, let alone two guitars in my apartment. And I very much enjoy being alive. So um, yeah, living, living with an acoustic guitar, actually, technically it's a classical guitar because I found the extra wide spacing on the neck to be very helpful for me. Right. And the, and the thing when you get to electric is the strings get closer together and the action gets lower and everything that can be, frustrating about playing an acoustic guitar gets more so (laughs) yay (laughs) so i yeah i mean you're fine skipping that yeah well Um, the other thing i was concerned about is the 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 bottom three strings 
Um, I obviously have picked electric guitars up in music shops before and tried to learn, tried to play them. Um, you know, if you, if you're just getting used to it, even coming from, especially in my case, a classical guitar, those can cut your fingers open, uh, which yeah, not fun. I've always found acoustics cut my fingers open more than anything. Okay, well, uh, I mean, uh, classical like, uh, guitars have three three metal and sure. three plastic strings, right? So, um, or at least mine does, and the ones that I have encountered have done. Uh, please don't email me if I'm wrong. I'm very sure that I probably am wrong. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've never had a problem with that. I did have, I don't play regularly anymore at all, so uh, no no more calluses. But I did have okay calluses, but still it was very uncomfortable playing the electric guitar. Yeah, so. three, three plastic and three usually steel wound. Yeah. And I, I have... Full calluses on both hands. Uh, I cannot feel the fingertips of either hand. But, uh, yeah, playing electric does not slice my fingers up nearly as much as playing copper wound strings on my acoustic. Mm-hmm. But I, I've developed defenses against that. The human body is an amazing machine at yes. saying, okay, we're playing guitar now. Let's make these fingertips solid and numb. Yes. That also, combined with the RSI that causes tingling in my fingers, I basically don't have hands anymore. <laughs> Ouch, but also, <laughs> hmm. Yeah, humans can be very determined. Let's go with that. Yeah. yeah. Focused on what they want. Tenacious, I would say. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the end. I would thank like you. to thank you for joining me. This has been delightful. You are every bit as delightful as I expected you would be. Thank you very much. It was lovely to talk to you as well. And I'm very sorry that I missed you at MaxDoc, but hopefully I will run into you there next year. And uh, hopefully this will not be the last time we talk before then. Uh, come hell or high water, I will be at MaxDoc next year. So please do try to make it. Yes, yes. I, I would book my plane tickets already, but I'm not yet able to book my holiday from work. So <laughs> so where can people find you online? Uh, well, if you would like to stalk me to see how much chocolate I am eating, I am on microblog and on Twitter with the handle Rosemary Orchard. And uh, if you want to find out about uh, scripts that I'm writing, automation stuff that I'm doing, apps that I'm using, etc., then the best place to find me is on rosemaryorchard.com, where I both write a lot of things and a link to things that I have written elsewhere on the web and also been elsewhere on podcasts. So for example, you may have found this podcast via the link on my website. And Automation Orchard? Uh, Automation Orchard is uh, also linked. It's basically where I collect automation goodness from around the internet. So if Brett has written something about automation, which I know he has, it's linked on Automation Orchard so that you can find it along with a bunch of other nerdy goodness. All right. Excellent. And uh, and all of my contact information is now in the automated end of the show. So <laughs> I did finally, finally just automate that. Now I can just tack on my, hey, here's where to find me on Twitter and everything. Yes, that's a good idea. Without wasting my guest time. So without further ado, thank you again for being here. Thank you very much for having me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you in a week. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of Systematic. You can find me at brettterpstra.com and as TT Scoff on every platform, including Facebook, Twitter, GitHub, Last.fm, and probably a bunch you've never heard of. 
Just search for TTSCOFF. You can also find Systematic on Twitter. So to tweet at me and my guest and for updates and announcements, follow Systemcast, S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T. If you're loving Systematic, don't forget to go leave an inspiring iTunes review. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.